The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast are presented by Edge Boost. Edge Boost enables you to double your bet with no interest. Go to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash edge to get started today. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gam Podcast Network. It is currently late Tuesday night, May 30th, and I'm your host, as always, Scott Rochelle, once again, going solo for this pod. Should be a fun episode. We're going to be doing our normal schedule for Grand Slams like we debuted in the Australian Open this year, where we'll be doing one episode per round. So if you wanted more episodes, then strap in because we have an episode for every round. Now, the first round was a bit weird because they divided the first round into three days, which is why it has been a little while since we've had an episode. But on the bright side, you do have a return to normal scheduling as you have two days for the second round, third round, etc. So we are back on track here, and it should be fun to go through the matches. Now, for the overall game plan with the rounds, I'm going to do what I did in the Australian Open, not just for the schedule, but for the actual content. I'm going to go through a couple of matches randomly, some matches that caught my eye, something I think might be competitive. Maybe I'll give out some bets as well. I'll preview the actual... Uh, lines on those matches anyway, but it's mostly just going to be matches I'm intrigued by, somewhat must-watch matches, so to speak, and I'll mention some plays that I might be tempted by in the process. But, of course, I'm going to do the usual lock and dog picks, so nothing's changing there. We'll give out my favorite two bets in the lock and dog segment, but for the sake of the actual content for the second round, we're not going to go through every match, but I'll go through a couple. So probably five or six matches we'll break down, talk about some plays that I might be tempted by, or maybe some takeaways that I had, uh, and maybe how... I expect players to maybe be fatigued after the first round or maybe just play better after struggling in the first round, et cetera, or maybe vice versa. The point is there's going to be a lot of content, so strap in, get excited, and it should be a fun episode. But do want to also cover some housekeeping first before we get into the lock and dog. I know that it has been a couple of episodes, but it is finally time to announce the winner for the SGPN gift card for the 100th episode Uh tennis, gambling, podcast, extravaganza, whatever you want to call it anyway. The winner of the uh, contest and the winner of the SGPN gift card is going to be the person who left a review under the username May 10 on Apple Podcasts, so L-I-N-D-Z-M-A-E-10. If you are that person, congratulations, you won yourself a free gift card, but you have to message me on Twitter Message me in my IMs and give me your email address, and we will uh, email you the digital credit, uh, the uh, digital gift card uh, for you to actually redeem. Don't worry, no social security needed, no credit card information, so I'm not trying to scam you. But message me on Twitter, and we will send an email to you, SGPN will, uh, with the code to redeem for your gift cards. Congratulations once again to Lindsay Ten from Apple Podcasts for winning the random giveaway. Congrats, and hopefully we'll do another one when we, when we cross over the 200th episode. But either way, uh, time to actually transition into the recap for round one. So I'm going to go through the lock and dog picks first and how we did on the last episode. Then I'll just talk about the overall landscape of the tournament and how some of it might have changed, especially after what we saw in the Tuesday uh, afternoon portion of the card. But to go through the lock and dog picks overall, ended up splitting. The lock and dog picks, kind of. We gave out two dogs in theory, so technically we did win uh, more than we lost. But for the sake of the actual profit, we made a lot uh, in the day one or the round one. So to go through the lock first, had a parlay, had Djokovic to win in straight sets and Rune to win in straight sets. Djokovic did his thing, made it a bit interesting in the third set, serving for the match and got broken. But then he ended up winning in the breaker. But then Rune screwed us as he ended up dropping a set to Eubanks on clay 
which was pretty embarrassing. Got broken early in the second set, had a couple of breakpoint chances there, down 4-5. I believe he had three breakpoint chances, and he failed to convert, and then Eubanks eventually served it out. And then Rune obviously won in four sets just to screw us, but he ended up getting it done for his sake, not for our sake. But either way, ended up losing the lock pick because of the parlay. But for the dog, we absolutely crushed it. We, we broke it up into two parts on the same play. We had Fognini, first set money line at plus 165 against Felix, and we also had Fognini full match money line at plus 272, and both those got home pretty easily. Fognini won the first set, and then on top of that, he buried Felix so badly he didn't even drop a set. Fognini actually won in straight sets, which was one of the easiest underdog wins of the entire first round. And initially, the reason why we took it was because Felix was battling a shoulder injury, which caused him to withdraw out of Lyon. However, in the post-match press conference, he actually said the shoulder wasn't really bothering him that much. It was actually his stomach, so I'm not sure if he had some food poisoning or something happened. Maybe he made the whole thing up, who knows. But either way, Felix's bad year continues, and we saw Fognini roll to a nice win, and more importantly, a nice double-dog win for us. So we did lose the parlay for a unit, but of course, we did end up winning the plus 165 dog and the plus 272 dog. Not too shabby. Hopefully, we'll keep it rolling here on the second round of Lock and Dog picks. But I do want to briefly go through some of the takeaways from the first round, and to be honest, I might have to skip the first two the first two days of the tournament because there really wasn't much drama. You saw Djokovic win in straight sets. You saw Alcaraz demolish Kobley. That wasn't even close. Kobley did play well, so there were a couple maybe slightly tense moments in the third set. But to be honest, Alcaraz looked so damn good that it didn't even matter. But you really didn't have many upsets. You might have had a couple of smaller ones here and there uh, before Tuesday's card. But just quickly going through some of the... I'd say shocking takeaways for... I'll go in order. So I'll start off with Sunday. So going through these, you had a couple of long matches. You had the Kakanov scare, who was minus an eight, like minus 8,000, and he won in three sets, came back from two sets down. Herkes had a war with Gofen. That didn't surprise me, but he won anyway. Isner lost in five. What else is new? Terrible five-set record. Uh, besides that, really nothing else. Once again, it was mostly chalk. You saw Tsitsipas lose a set to Vesely, which was a bit surprising, but really no upset to speak of whatsoever. I know you could point me, you could uh, correct me and say, well, technically this guy was a plus one. Um, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, actual contenders or ranked players. It was pretty chalky for the most part. And that trend kind of continued over into day two because you had a couple of scares. Uh, Shapo ended up winning in five. Nori won in five against Benoit Pair. Schwartzman had a shocking comeback from two sets down against Zapata Marias, but he ended up winning in five. So good for him. Shout out to Diego. Uh, he actually had some pretty honest uh, comments after the match where he basically said if he didn't turn around soon, he was going to retire, which is sad to hear. But to be honest, I understand it because Sitsipa, uh, not Sitsipa, sorry, Schwartzman has been so underwhelming for the last couple of months, and I've called him washed repeatedly on the show. Uh, once again, might se might seem harsh but when you're gambling on the sport and Schwartzman's making you free money as a fade, then you got to at least point it out. But Schwartzman did address his bad form recently. And after a win, he said he thought about retirement, which I thought was pretty interesting. But either way, nice job by him to come back in a really tough situation and to dig himself out of a, out of a hole there to win the match in five. Besides that, while Ranka had a war against uh, Ramos Vinolas, which he won, uh, nothing really else. Uh, Zanchop lost in four, which was a bit surprising. Uh, team lost again. What else is new? Team's been a mess. Uh, nothing really else to add. I thought Phil's, I mentioned Phil's, Jari, and some of the guys who played on 
uh, the Saturday card might be potential fade material in the first round. I thought Fakino was going to kill Phils, and I don't know if he covered the spread or not because Phils did win a set, but he won 6-4, and Fakino won 6-1, 6-3, 6-3. So I think Fakino did cover the spread in that match, but I thought it was a bad overall scheduling spot for Phils, who had played a bunch of tennis the same week, and he ended up running out of gas. He had a Laheshka who had a nice win against Struff in five. But you see my point. I'm kind of going down the line here, and there were no upsets of any kind. So I got to get into the Tuesday card because you assumed, all right, there's been... It's a bit quiet, too quiet, and that ended up changing on Tuesday. You're waiting for the proverbial bomb to go off to blow up the bracket, and it actually happened. Starting off with some of the ranked players who ended up losing, you had... Well, Kekmanovic isn't really ranked anymore, but he has been in the top 30 before. I believe he's ranked 37th now. He lost in five to a serve and volley guy on clay, which is a little bit bizarre. Uh, Vavasori ended up winning the final three sets in tie breaks. Very fun match. Kekmanovic had a bunch of breakpoint chances, blew a lot of them. To read off the breakpoint chances here, Kekmanovic ended up having 26 breakpoints and... Vavasori ended up having 10. So that tells you what you need to know. Uh, Kikmanovic had a lot of chances, failed to convert. I believe he even had a match point in the third set, and that ended up going away as Vavasori got it done. Uh, you also had Nishioka coming back from two sets down against Wolf, and uh, that was how the day started. And you assumed, like, okay, you know, little small upsets here, a couple of crazy five-set comebacks, and then you got, to the, you got to the actual main course. We kind of skipped the appetizer and went straight to the main because Medvedev, who was the dark horse candidate by a lot of people, maybe including myself, but I'm not going to talk about it, uh, he ended up being a massive favorite against Seabolt Wild. Now, Seabolt Wild is a guy who I followed on the Challenger Tour a little bit, very solid clay player, and I thought that he would potentially give Medvedev a little bit of difficulty. I wasn't going to lay the games with Medvedev, for example, in that match. I thought he'd win probably in straight sets, but I thought maybe he'd get a breaker in there, maybe a competitive set or two. And then you saw Seabolt Wild kind of dominate the match for the most part. He won the first set in a tie break. He should have won the second set in a tie break because he had a couple of set points. And then the one time he faced a set point, he shanked the hell out of that slam by the net, which was an embarrassing miss, which gifted Medvedev the second set. Then he immediately got broken in the third set, and you thought, all right, that sounded about right. Seabolt Wild blew a chance, probably going to implode, and Medvedev took the third set with ease at 6-2. And then Seabolt Wild came back. He immediately jumped out to a 3-0 lead in the fourth set, won the fourth set 6-3, and then ended up finishing finishing it off, winning the final set 6-4. The real story was Medvedev couldn't serve. It just seemed like Seabolt Wild was constantly getting involved in the service games, and Medvedev kept getting broken. He kept breaking back to get it even, and then he could never consolidate the break. That was kind of the story of the fifth set. But Seabolt Wild got it done. I believe Medvedev is now three and nine in five sets. In five in the fifth set, I should say, in his matches. Then again, that's obviously Grand Slam material, and he had a couple of wars against the likes of Nadal, for example, where he lost in the Australian Open in a tough fifth set, and he lost in the US Open in a tough fifth set. So he was against elite competition, but still three and eight, or three and nine, I should say, in fifth sets when you are one of the most, I'd say durable players and you have one of the biggest gas tanks in, on the entire tour. It was pretty fascinating to see Medvedev's overall five-set record be as poor as it is, but crop to see both Wild who got it done, and now he is actually a big favorite in the second round, so he might be the Cinderella 
for the sake of this brief, brief run, but I should say this quarter. But for the Mevitov quarter, we did have Chorch at 16 to 1. So hopefully he's able to keep moving on. But that uh, quarter just opened up pretty nicely. So we'll see how Medvedev's quarter looks with him no longer in it. But Medvedev, we knew, was struggling on Clay's entire career. Then he picked it up on Clay and ended up winning a Masters 1000 event. And apparently the Achilles heel was fourth and fifth sets on Clay. Because if it was a regular tournament, Medvedev would have won because he won He won the first three sets. He won the second and third sets. But yeah, Seabold Wild wore him down. A lot of firepower was able to push Medvedev around the court, and he got it done. Medvedev complained about the actual ball. I believe he said it was a little bit too slow, and as a result, he couldn't hit the ball past anybody. And Seabold Wild was able to generate more power, which is more suited to his game. But that was the shocking upset. Medvedev was around minus 2,000. So Seabolt got a very nice upset win there. And then you had the insane match that took place in the final match of the day. Because you had two, actually. You had the Hoffman-Montero match, which wasn't really an upset. In fact, Hoffman was a pretty big favorite. But the match was about five hours. I didn't mention the Vavasori match was five hours, too. But... The Montero match was crazy because Hoffman was up two sets, looked like he was going to cruise. Montero won back-to-back breakers. Montero's up 4-1 in the final set, and he's up 40-love. It's 4-1, 40-love, and he got broken. In fact, he missed two slams at the net to blow the advantage. And as a result, actually, no, so I got to take it back. I got to go in order here. So he blew it anyway. It was 4-1. He didn't win another game after that. Lost the final five games. So he was up a break. Got broken at at a 4-2. Okay. Got broken, whatever. Had two breakpoint chances against Hoffman's serve at 4-4. He failed those. So it was 4-5. And he was up 40 loves serving to try to make it 5-5. And he absolutely shanked the hell out of two overheads. One was at 40 love. The other, I think, was at deuce right near the net, blew two overheads, and then Hoffman broke, and then he won. I believe you needed five games or six games from Montero in the final set to cover the spread, and he didn't cover. So I think it was six games, So which is a brutal beat. Uh, but either way, point is, that was a crazy match. And then right when that match ended, the Monfi match got really, really interesting, and that was the main story that I'm going to talk about and I might go into a little bit of a diatribe here about this match. So, Monfi, I've criticized on the show, not through any of his own fault, but he suffered a serious injury last year, and he was rehabbing, and we were fading him immediately because he did not look very good. And then I acknowledge when we lost the last match fading him with with uh, Katchen that Monfi actually looked pretty good, and I thought that it was a massive step up in his play. So I didn't really have any action on that Baez match. I thought it would be somewhat competitive, but I did, of course, think Baez would win, and then Monfi goes up two sets to one. And you think, okay, you know, Monfi, great job, 7-5. He really hit a gear there at the end of the third set. The only concern was he had not played that much tennis. He had not won a match in, on the ATP level since August. So you'd assume he'd run out of gas and he'd be exhausted. And you were right, because he got buried in the fourth set, lost 6-1. And then you're thinking, okay, Monfi maybe might have coasted. Maybe he punted the set. He wanted to get some energy back. And then he went down 4-0 in the fifth set. And you're thinking at this point, he might lose 6-0. Me personally, I might have been looking through some live lines at 3-0 to see what Baez to win 6-0 was. I might have. I didn't pull the trigger, but I thought about it. And then I decided, you know what? I'm going to ride it out. 
Let me just see how this match goes. I'm rooting for Monfi to win a game. That's how this whole thing started. I'm just sitting there going, all right, Monfi, you got the whole crowd rooting for you. You're on the main court. It's a good story that you're here and that you're in the fifth set. Just win a game. That's all you got to do. Just win one game for some respect factor. And if you lose 6-1, you lose 6-1, but at least you won a game. I just didn't want to see a 6-0 final set. Monfi won a game. I'm like, okay, good stuff. Won a game. It's currently 4-1. He fought off a break point there, so it did look like it was potentially going to be uh, 5-0. And it, I thought it was going to be, of course, a wrap. But he ended up holding. And then he went on one of the craziest comebacks I've ever seen. So Monfi was exhausted. There was some cramping at the end, and it looked like his energy level was kind of all over the place, but that's expected when you're playing about a five-hour match and you don't exactly have much tennis under your belt, especially in three out of five matches because he's constantly playing uh, two out of threes. Now, it was three hours and 45, uh, three hours and 47, actually, according to the official time. It felt like five and a half hours. At least it did physically because every point seemed to be a physical grind. But anyway, Monfi won the final... Uh, two points, or sorry, final three points of the 0-4 game. So he won the final three points. Then he broke Baez to love, and then he held again to love. So Munfi went from down 4 nothing, facing a break point for 5 nothing, to winning the next 10 points in the match. And I... I can't even describe... Actually, no, I'm char- sorry. It was 11 straight points because he was down 30-40. So he won 11 straight points down 4 nothing, And then he was still down a break. So you're thinking, okay, you know, Baez wasn't even playing badly. Monfi just started playing red line tennis again. And you're thinking, okay, 30-love to Baez while serving up 4-3. So you're thinking, okay, Monfi made a flurry. He's still down a break. Baez might close this out. Munfi broke him again, and now suddenly you're tied. The whole crowd was nuts. They were mixing up between Munfi chants and even the French national anthem. It was a scene and a half. But anyway, it's 4-4, Munfi's level again, by some miracle. Munfi gets broken to love. Baez once again is serving for the match. So he had an opportunity to serve for the match, and he was up two breaks before, blew those. So he, once again, is four points away from winning. Gets broken again while serving for the match. And Monfils like, cramping in the middle of the game. And he ended up having a couple of insane rallies, which he won. But it was 5-5, Monfi held. And then Baez had a game point up 40-30. And he got broken. Monfi was crawling around. He could barely move after one of the points. And then he ended up hitting a passing shot that hit the top of the net and bounced in as a passing shot, and Monfi won. Simply put, with the atmosphere and with Monfi's overall comeback story, and even the post-match interview where he talked about on court how it was the first time that he's actually won a match since becoming a dad, which I thought was really cool. And I believe he said his daughter was in attendance. But the point is, that was one of the craziest sets of tennis I've ever seen and it was one of the most improbable comebacks I've ever seen. Munfi down 4 nothing, 30-40, I believe was plus 3,000 to win the match. And once again, he was down three breaks in the final set. And Baez wasn't even playing badly. Baez's level didn't really drop off. Munfi just went crazy. Munfi was hitting every line, every shot that he possibly could. He was serving better. It really just seemed like Munfi found a gear that looked like it was prime Munfi, 
which I wasn't sure he had anymore. But either way, that overall atmosphere was one of the best atmospheres I've ever seen. It had a real Davis Cup feel to it, if you've ever watched a Davis Cup final. I still remember Argentina winning uh, with with uh, Del Potro, and the crowd was, had the Vuvuzelas going, and the crowd was crazy. It was like that type of atmosphere in a Grand Slam first-round match. It was one of the greatest sets I've ever seen, and it's one of the best comebacks I've ever seen. So, I've, of course, match-wise, there's been bigger comebacks with bigger stakes. Nadal, Australian Open against Medvedev. I get it. There's been bigger comebacks in terms of stakes. But for the sake of just improbability, I thought Monfi was dead. And the fact that he not only came back to make it interesting, but came back to win the match. He won seven of the last eight games, which is just wild to me. But anyway, that was the main thing I wanted to talk about, was the Monfi ridiculous comeback if you missed it watch the highlights you understand what i mean about the atmosphere it was all-time stuff where you could tell the roof was going to come off the building if there was a roof on the actual building it was insane but props to the french crowd for stick for sticking with monfi i know some guys left when he was down for nothing and the rest of the fans booed the hell out of him rightfully so but those who stayed got a real treat out of it and it turned out to be one of the best comeback matches I've ever seen. But anyway, props him on Fee. Now he's got a matchup against Rune in the second round. And to be honest, I think Monfi's absolutely dead. I, he can't move. I think Rune's going to kill him. There's a prop I'm going to mention later on in that game in that match that I like. But unfortunately, there are no odds available. But I do think that there's going to be some value on a potential blowout set to some degree. That's your spoiler for the prop. But I'll save the actual a breakdown if I actually remember to get to it. You know what? I'm actually going to do it now because I'm probably going to forget it. I want to bet on a 6 nothing set in that match between Rune and Monfi. Rune is around minus 900, but based on how Monfi put that much energy into the comeback and how he was cramping at the end and he could barely move, I think Rune's got a lot of value to win a set 6 nothing. Rune first set 6 nothing is 12-1. to I'm not sure if it's going to be the first set, and Monfi, you could argue, might retire midway through the match, but since he is French, I think he would probably savor the moment, accept an ass-kicking, and simply put, enjoy the overall environment in his first French Open in a while. But the point is, I do think that there is some value on some books. I think FanDuel and DraftKings offer it. They offer a 6 nothing set in the match, yes or no prop. I would take the yes. I think Monfi's going to have one set where he gets shut out because he can't move. So that's kind of my sneaky plus price play there. Then again, I don't have odds on it, so that's why I'm not going to give it out. It might have been my dog for the show if I had odds on it, but I don't. So that's going to be my uh, dog. Uh, that's my drive-by dog. That's what we're going to call that one. It's a quick prop and we're out of here, but I do think there is some value on that prop in particular, and I will be betting it once I see odds for it. I'm hoping it'll be somewhere in the I'd say north of 3-1 to one range, uh, but I do think fading Monfi off of such a ridiculous match is not the same caliber as like the Isner match after beating Mahout 70-68 to 68 in the final set or whatever the hell it was, but if you remember, Isner at the play immediately after and he got buried in the, in the next round. It's not that extreme, but the idea is still there that Monfi, who's barely played much tennis for the last couple of months, first win since August off a five-setter against one of the best clay players in the world, Rune has the skills to bury him 6 nothing in a set. So that's kind of my thoughts on a potential uh, sle a sneaky dog play there that I don't have lines on. But anyway, that's going to do it for the recap. Apologies if that was a bit long, but the Monfi match really deserved a whole separate 
subsection for the recap because once again that was one of the craziest comebacks I've ever seen. But anyway, moving into the actual second round matches, couple of fun ones. I'm gonna go in order based on the days. Just starting off with Wednesday. I'm just going to go through a couple of matches that caught my eye. I see Offner is taking on Korda. Korda's around minus 188. I see Offner's at around plus 150 or so. I understand Korda won in straight sets against Mackenzie McDonald. Offner won in straight sets against Cressy, and we know Cressy's really, really bad on clay. I do think there is some value on Offner. I found a plus 168. I understand Korda looked good in the first round, but once again, he's barely played much tennis. And according to Korda, he gained a bunch of muscle to avoid injuries in the future. But he also stated that he wasn't really playing much tennis leading up to the French Open. So I do think that as the tournament goes on, Korda might look potentially fatigued or maybe just struggle in general. I don't feel great laying 193 with Korda, who's barely played much tennis for the last couple of months. So I think there might be a little bit of value on Offner there. I'm not sure if I'm going to fully go to the window with it, but I am at least going to acknowledge it that if you want some early morning action for a dog... I wouldn't necessarily mind Offner if you are a bit skeptical on Korda looking sharp once again, despite not playing much tennis. And McDonald's also not a very good clay player. If you remember, we faded him initially uh, in the first round of Monte Carlo, and he ended up losing to, I think it was Gakoff who he lost to in three. But the point is, McDonald's not a good clay player, and I do think that Offner is very, very good on clay, at least for a challenger-level player. I think the match could be interesting. But moving on to anything else, uh, I know Fognini is a decent favorite at minus 190. I'm not laying 190 with Fognini. I know that he won us the dog in the first round, but it was mostly fading Felix in his recent form and the injuries. Kubler, I think, is probably going to lose, but I can see a tough match there, and Fognini's older, and I mentioned the stamina being a concern. He's also played doubles in this in this event, so there's less time off for Fognini because he's actually in a very good doubles pair with Bolelli, and they're a very good doubles team. So I do think that he could be fatigued. Uh, besides that, uh, there is a very fun match. I'm not going to mention the Schwartzman match against uh, uh, against uh, Burga, uh, Burgess, uh, but I do think, or Borges, but I do think that uh, Borges probably has value, but once again, I'm not going to play it. Borges barely beat Isner on clay, and Isner's a mess on clay, and Schwartzman pulled off a nice comeback. I'm going to ignore it, but of course, I'm not going to lay a price with Schwartzman there. I do think the kokonakis warenka match is fun. I like the over in that match. I think you're going to see a lot of games here. It's also funnier because of the context involving Kyrgios, because Kyrgios, midway through a match like se several years ago, told Warenka mid-match the Kokonakis banged his girlfriend. Uh, so that is a bit funny that they're facing off against each other now. If you don't know that story, look it up on, on YouTube. It's pretty funny. Uh, but Kyrgios, mid-match, down a set, basically walked up to Warenka at the net and said, Kokonakis banged your girlfriend, sorry to tell you. And he walked away, and Kyrgios actually won the match. I believe Warenka retired midway through that match in the third set. But the point is, it is a bit funny uh, when you have a backstory that Kokonakis wasn't even involved in. It was really just Kyrgios using his name. Uh, but the point is, they're against each other, so there is a little bit of a backstory, which I find kind of amusing. But for the sake of that match, I think I am going to lead to Kokonakis. He had an easier match in the first round. Warenka had a war against Ramos Vinolas, which he won. But I am wondering with Warenka's age, if it's going to be another marathon match, if he will be able to hold on. I think it probably goes four or five. So I do like the over in that one. I think you're going to see a lot of games. Uh, but that's going to be uh, some of my plays there for, or some of my thoughts for the overall Wednesday card. But to look at any other matches here, I do like the over three and a half sets in the Luca Pui and Cam Nori match. I found it on Caesars at minus 120. Most books have minus 145. 
Pui really struggled. Or no, sorry. Pui was really good in the first round. He had a rematch against the guy he beat in the final round of qualifying, and he ended up beating Rody Onov again in straight sets. But he won quickly. Nori had a war. He was down two sets to one against Benoit Pair, and then Pair did Pair things, and Nori beat him. But it was a war, and Nori has tended to drop some sets recently. Pui's had a great comeback run. The crowd's going to be very into it, and I do think the crowd support's going to be big. It might not be as crazy as the Monfit crowd was today, but Nori hasn't exactly shown me much recently, and we know Nori can't really serve. So I can see a lot of ups and downs, and I do think that Pui and Nori each win one set. So give me the over three and a half sets there in what should be a competitive match. Besides that, um, yeah, I'm not picking Fuksovic to do anything against Djokovic. I think Van Asha is pretty live against Fakina, uh, but that's not really a great price. Uh, Asha is around plus 220. It's not bad. I think Fakina looked pretty good against Phils, but we know he's a bit of a head case. And Asha is pretty, pretty stable. I do think that if he keeps the ball in play, you might see an unforced error fest from Fakina. I would take the unforced errors on Fakina if I could. But they faced off in Estoril in the about a month or two ago, and Fakina did win that one 6-3, 7-5. But Vanash was French, so once again, you have a crowd advantage there. But that's going to do it for my initial thoughts on some of the matches for the Wednesday card. Now it's time to move over to the Thursday card and to go through some matches that I'm tempted by or at least intrigued by in that one. Uh, but going through the Thursday card, first things first, I got to talk about the Tommy Paul and Nicholas Jari match. I think that Jari's probably going to win. Paul looked really good in the first round, really disappointing showing from his opponent, Stricker. I thought that Paul might be on a bit of upset alert there, and he won comfortably. Stricker really looked underwhelming. But Jari won in, com in comfortable fashion, destroyed Delian. He completely buried him. Uh, they have played twice in their careers. Paul is 2-0. and However, it was both a long time ago. Tommy Paul beat Jari on clay back in 2014, according to what I'm looking at, and they faced off in 2020 on hard court, which means nothing. But Jari's a lot better on clay, and he's been playing great tennis. I think Jari wins that match. Besides that, you have a fun match between Karatsev and Tiafo, which could just be a punt fest at various points between both players. They might go five. I might lean to Karat. Actually, I'm not. I, I don't know who I'd lean to in that one. I know we got Karatsev to win the quarter at like plus five thousand. That was another bet we have actually in the Medvedev quarter, but which is good for us. But the point is, I do think that you're looking at a match that should be a lot of fun. So that would probably be the first match I'd be tempted by just to watch Karatsev against Tiafo. Karatsev has the forehand. Tiafo's got the movement, and he also has a good forehand. But they're both head cases, so it should be a lot of fun. And I think that would be a good match. As for everything else. I mentioned the Rune bets that I'm tempted by in the Monfi match. No offense, I can't back Monfi. It's too bad of a scheduling spot. He's got one day off after a five-setter with cramping at the end. I mentioned the 6 nothing set play, which I'm still going to take. Besides that, though, Rusevori-Dimitrov could be fun. I think Dimitrov probably wins. Rusevori had a five-set war there against Barreri, but he got it done. Dimitrov won comfortably. Uh really buried his opponent there. Uh, but I do think Dimitrov wins probably four sets or so, but it could be interesting. Besides that, though, Molkant against Vera. Vera didn't really look great against Lloyd Harris for the first two sets, and Harris probably should have won the second set. But I do think Zverev's going to win. I think Molkant can hang in there, though. I think he can take a set. And besides that, you also have... Uh, Zepieri Root is kind of interesting. I think Root's going to win, but I do think that you can see maybe Zepieri take a set there. But... Uh, I think Fritz is going to beat Rinderknich. Yeah, I don't really have much else. I, I just feel like I mentioned the matches I'm tempted by. The main must-watch match for me is going to be that Karatsev-Tiafo match, because that's just a lot of fun. 
and you might see a couple of implosions, uh, both uh, for, well, really for either guy. And maybe you'll see a racket throw. But the point is, it should be a lot of fun, a lot of chaos. And I'm looking forward to that match. And I mentioned some of the props I like or matches that I like from a betting perspective also. But that's going to wrap it up for the actual previews for the second round matches on Wednesday and on Thursday. We're going to be back in a second with the lock and dog picks. But before I do that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Edge Boost. Edge Boost is the world's first bet now pay later Visa card. Edge currently offers $2,500 in betting advances, which can be an extremely valuable tool. Imagine what you can do with an increased bankroll. Get down on some of your favorite futures without tying up your bankroll for months. Double down on a favorite you bet on, or even if you want to use it to create an awesome middle opportunity or even hedge, as disgusting as that might sound. Edge Boost isn't some sleazy loan shark as they charge 0% interest. Do you know of another way you can get an access to more money to place on your favorite bets without paying any interest because I don't. Support SGPN and grow your bankroll by going to sportscampodcast.com slash edge to sign up at sportscampodcast.com slash edge. Must be 21 or older to use problem gambling. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're also brought to you by the NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup Finals Contest. SGPN has two more free contests for the Stanley Cup and the NBA Finals. Enter exclusively on the SGPN app, series props, and game props. $100 SGPN gift card up for grabs for each contest. Download the SGPN app and enter today. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the second round of the French Open. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks for the show. Starting off with the lock, I am going to go with a match taking place on Wednesday should be one of the later matches, though, so there should be no rush to actually bet this. I'm assuming it's going to start later than it's projected because, once again, you never know when you get a five-setter on the court that you're projected to play in, and suddenly the match that was supposed to start at around like 9 a.m. turns into an 11.30 start. But the match should be a little bit later on since it is later on in the actual schedule of play. But I'm going to go back to that we and Nori match, and I am going to take both players to win a set or over three and a half sets at minus 120 as my lock. Simply put, Nori's really not look great lately, and even though he did look very good on clay a couple of months ago where he beat Alcaraz in that final, which I believe was in Rio, but the point is he did win an ATP title on clay. The problem is that was about two months ago, so he has really not looked great lately, and Nori's also dropped his fair share of sets recently, so I do think that even though I still think he's going to win against Pui, I think Pui's quite alive, actually, to make this match uh, pretty interesting. Pui was a top 10 guy in the world uh, like five years ago or so, and then he had some injuries and he had some personal problems. But now he's back, and he has played some really good tennis here. He has crowd support as well. But if Benoit Pair can take a two-set-to-one lead against you, I think that we should be able to win at least one set here. And I think Nori's good enough to win a set as well, obviously. But to look at that first-round match, once again... Nori, we know the issue with him is that he has really no firepower. The strokes are pretty bland, and the serve isn't great. And Pear had a bunch of breakpoint chances. I believe Pear had 20 breakpoint chances in the match. I know it went five sets, but still. The point is there's a lot of potential breaks of serve in this match, and I do think Pui can hold serve enough to potentially steal a set here. But I do think at the end of the day, when you're looking at Nori's recent results... He has been a bit underwhelming at times when it comes to winning in straight sets. And I think that even though you could argue he should take out the inferior opponent here with ease, to go through the results here, he dropped two sets to pair, dropped two sets to Sarundalo, dropped a set to Baez, beat Golfen in straight sets, dropped two sets to Djokovic, you know, that's Djokovic, whatever. Uh, and yeah, but the point is, you're looking at the last four matches he's been in, he's dropped at least one set 
in three of his last four matches. And Luca Pui has been good. Once again, I just think that this is a good price. And once again, shopping around when most books offer minus 145 and you find a book that goes rogue and offers minus 120, I'm going to take it. So I'm going to go with Caesars here and I'm going to go with the Luca Pui and Cam Nori match over three and a half sets or both players to win a set at minus 120 as the lock. And for the dog, I am going to go to a match taking place on Thursday between Tommy Paul and Nicholas Jari. And for this one, I'm going to take Jari minus one and a half sets. In other words, Jari to win in three sets or in four sets. And that's currently at plus 135 on BetMGM. Simply put, Tommy Paul impressed me by winning the first round match in straight sets. Stricker is mostly a challenger level player, but Tommy Paul is still not great on clay. And Jari's on the warpath. Jari's been a lunatic. We won an 11 to 1 bet on him to win in Geneva, which he did. He looked very comfortable throughout was able to beat Rude in three, and Rude was the two-time defending champion. But Jari ended up dominating Delian in the first round. I think Jari's the much better clay court player. And once again, the head-to-head meetings were either on hard court three years ago or clay nine years ago to toss those in the garbage. I think Jari wins comfortably. Simply put, Tommy Paul's not a good enough server, and I do think that Jari's firepower will push Paul around the court. So I do think that Jari should win this in three or four sets, which pays out at plus 135. So once again, the lock for the show is going to be on Cam Nori and Luca Pui over three and a half sets at minus 120. And the dog will be Nicholas Jari minus one and a half sets against Tommy Paul at plus 135. That's going to wrap it up for the show. We'll back once again on probably Wednesday or probably a Thursday night for the third round. Find me on Twitter, Rush Show Radio. Find me on the NBA Gambling Podcast, WNBA Gambling Podcast, and the Tennis Podcast, of course, and the NFL Gambling Podcast. But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.